Our scripture reading this morning is found in Titus chapter 2. We'll read that entire chapter and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, this in connection with Lord's Day 44. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hate, uh, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. 
these things are good and profitable unto men. That far we read in God's holy inspired word. May God bless the reading of that portion of scripture to our hearts. It's in connection with those uh, verses, and I'll refer to those later in the sermon, but it's in connection with that that we treat the truth of Scripture in Lord's Day 44, the truth of Scripture summarized here concerning the Tenth Commandment. Questions and answers 113 to 115 read as follows. What doth the Tenth Commandment require of us? that even the smallest inclination or thought, contrary to any of God's commandments, never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. Even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet so that with a sincere resolution they begin to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached since no man in this life can keep them. First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God, till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, are you zealous of good works? Am I zealous of good works? The Holy Spirit tells us in Titus chapter 2, Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us and make us a peculiar people who are zealous of good works. And as soon as we use that word zealous, you understand we're not just speaking of an outward conformity to the law of God. It's not just speaking of doing good works in an outward way because hypocrites can do that. But for somebody to be zealous of good works shows It must be a matter of the heart. And if there was ever any doubt that the commandments, all the commandments address the heart, the tenth commandment makes it absolutely clear that the law addresses the heart. 
when it says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Then we understand not only, of course, may I not steal my neighbor's house, that's the seventh commandment, or rather the sixth, uh, eighth commandment, sorry. Not only may I not steal my neighbor's house, but I may not desire to take my neighbor's house away from it. That's the 10th commandment. Not only in the 7th commandment, may I not commit adultery with my neighbor's wife. The 10th commandment makes it clear that the law applies to my heart. I may not even desire to have my neighbor's wife. And so by addressing the desires of the heart, the 10th commandment makes it clear that all the commandments must be kept, not just outwardly, but from the heart. The 10th commandment, when it forbids those desires of the heart, then also forbids the inclinations, the wrong inclinations of our hearts. And then we understand, we ought to, that we have only a small beginning. When we see what the law requires, that the law of God is exceedingly broad, what it requires us to do and what it forbids us, then we see all the more that we need Jesus Christ. We need his forgiveness. And we need his grace to walk in his ways. The law shows us our need of Christ. And therefore the law must be strictly preached. What to consider then that 10th commandment under the theme, the command regarding the heart. Let's note in the first place then that it addresses our sinful inclinations. Secondly, that we therefore see that we have only a small beginning. The 10th commandment makes that clear. And lastly, that this requires the strict preaching of the commandments. We all covet. Every single one of us covets, and the idea of coveting simply is having an inclination or a desire to have something. And there are, to be sure, some things that we ought to desire. There are things we ought to want to have. It is proper for us to desire to have sufficient food and drink and clothing. There is a right desire for those things. There is a proper desire that a husband and a wife ought to have towards one another. We ought to desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 exhorts us with these words, covet earnestly the best gifts. There is a right and proper desire that we ought to have, various desires. But the 10th commandment, when it says, thou shalt not covet, forbids the coveting of those things that belong to our neighbor. Exodus 20, verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is 
thy neighbors. We may not desire to have those things that are unlawful for us to have. I may not have my neighbor's wife, and therefore I may not desire to have my neighbor's wife. I may not have my neighbor's car, not speaking of the one that he wants to sell, I may not have various things that belong to my neighbor, and therefore I may not desire to have them. Thou shalt not covet. So the commandment forbids us to desire those things that are unlawful for us to have. Of course, if our neighbor is selling his car and I have the lawful means to get that from him, then I may desire to have it in a proper way. That's another story. So while the other commandments imply when they address various things, they imply that those desires are wrong. The tenth commandment makes those desires, shows that even the desires themselves are forbidden by God. Even the inclinations of our hearts the 10th commandment shows to be wrong. And therefore, the commandment calls us to put away all unruly and evil desires. All unruly and evil desires. Not just some of them, not just most of them, but all of them. Maybe some argue that's not really necessary. Maybe we argue in our own hearts it's not really necessary to put away those desires because, after all, that's merely a thought in my brain. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm keeping it all in my mind. Have you ever heard that argument? Or have you ever used that argument? Well, if we use that argument, that's like the man who has just a little cancer. He says, that's just a little spot of cancer on my skin. And it doesn't even hurt. Not yet. We would say how foolish. Wouldn't we? How foolish. The man or the woman who says, why am I not allowed to fantasize about fame or riches or pleasure? Why? Why may I not do that? I'm not hurting anyone. Well, in the first place, we ought to understand that when we allow ourselves to have those thoughts, in the first place, we are robbing glory from God. That first and foremost. By setting up something in our hearts, some idol in our hearts, we are taking away glory from God. 
We are saying, this idol will bring me happiness when we ought to be seeking all our happiness in God. That ought to be first in our minds. We are robbing God of the glory he deserves when we allow ourselves to have those evil thoughts. But those thoughts also hurt our neighbor. They show a lack of love to God, but they also show a lack of love towards our neighbor. They are hurtful. They are. We say, I'm not hurting anyone, but in fact, they are hurtful. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, expresses that hurtfulness. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, but they that will be rich. They, they that desire to be rich, they have that desire. They that will be rich, what happens to them? They will fall into temptation and a snare and into many hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Many hurtful lusts. We allow ourselves that wrong desire after riches. And that will lead to hurtful lusts. Why is that? It's because when we allow ourselves that inclination and we say, that's okay for me to think that way, then we're saying, it's okay for me to take one step. It's just one step in that direction. But that one step is the first step in the direction of spiritual death. Is that okay? There's a path that leads to death. Is it okay to take, well, I'm just taking one step on that pathway. Here's what James says. James 1, verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. That's where it starts. Starts with that desire. He's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. But sin never stands still. Then when lust, James says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. How far into our hearts does the Tenth Commandment reach? Or we could ask the question this way. How big does a desire have to be before it's wrong? before it becomes sinful. And there are those who argue that, well, if I have a desire and it just flashes in my mind and I say I, I ought not to think about that thing, that desire, then it's not wrong. Some would argue that. I have some evil desire. It comes into my heart. At some point I decide I shouldn't think that way. Have I avoided sinning? And there's all kinds of examples of this. If my eye has wandered for just a split second, and then I turned away from some, some uh, 
thing that I ought not to have looked at? Have I, have I avoided sinning? Or someone offers a lucrative job. And I think to myself, that's going to double my wages, triple my wages. And if that job would take me away from a faithful church, and there were no faithful churches in that area, have I avoided sinning? Or did the lure of riches have a pull on my heart that I had to battle against? Did that lure of riches make me forget love to God and love to my neighbor? The Catechism explains rightly that the Tenth Commandment forbids even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments and it requires that those things never arise in our hearts. We are called to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And therefore, even that smallest inclination is a breaking of the commandment. It's a breaking of all of God's law. And now when we understand that, can anyone say, can I say or you say, I'm able to keep God's law? Can we say that? Can we stand before God in our own righteousness? And so the law shows us our need of Jesus Christ. We need the forgiveness that comes only through Jesus Christ, and we need the grace of Jesus Christ to walk in his ways. Not only does the commandment forbid even the least inclination, just a small inclination to evil, but it also requires, as the commandments do, it requires that I hate all sin with my whole heart and that I delight in all righteousness. That's why Jesus died for us. Why did Jesus die? First, uh, rather, Titus chapter 2, verse 14 tells us, why did Jesus give himself for us? Verse 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Jesus Christ gave himself for us so that you and I would delight in good works. We would never have that delight apart from the grace of God. We would never have that delight unless... Jesus had given himself for us. And that's expressed in that passage that we read as well. The apostle says in chapter 3, verse 3, we were, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But God has 
through Jesus Christ, redeemed us and delivered us out of bondage. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There is a regeneration and there is a renewal that God works in us by his spirit. We need the grace of God. But when we understand that about the law, all the law, that it forbids even the inclinations of our hearts, the wrong inclinations, and requires the right inclinations, well, then we ought to understand we have only a small beginning. We have only a small beginning of new obedience. It's true, the psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 168, he says, I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. But the question is not, have we kept to any degree the commandments of God? The question is, have we kept them perfectly? And that's the catechism and question and answer 114. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. Not just maybe not, but a resounding no. But even the holiest men while in this life have only a small beginning of this obedience. Well, the catechism, when it speaks of the holiest men, implies that there are some who are holier than others. Job was more holy than his three friends by the grace of God. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, was more holy than Ham. But here's the point. Even the holiest, take the holiest man in all of Scripture or in all of our lives that we know of, even the holiest have only a small beginning of new obedience. A small beginning means that we have only made a small start. And it's called a small beginning because the beginning is compared to the end. What's the end? The end is when we arrive in glory, when we get to heaven and compare our obedience, what we have now, to what it will be, and it is a small obedience. Only a small beginning, because we have such a long way to go. We still have the old man of sin. We still have evil inclinations that affect us every moment so that if some temptation presented itself, we would be inclined to sin against our God and against our neighbor. Take some of the examples of Scripture. Job. Scripture says about Job... He was perfect and upright. He feared God. 
and he turned away from evil. He responded by bowing before God when God took away in his providence all those things from him. But just a few chapters later, Job is cursing the day that he was born. Even Job had only a small beginning. David was a man after God's heart. Scripture says of him, Acts 13, verse 22. But even David had only a small beginning, and we see that when he sinned in the matter of Uriah and Bathsheba, when he sinned in the matter of numbering Israel. Godly David had only a small beginning. Peter made a wonderful confession concerning Jesus Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And just a short time after that, he denied that he even knew Jesus. He had only a small beginning of new obedience. All of the saints, while in this life, have only a small beginning. Yes, it is true that we love God. We truly love God. And we truly, by the grace of God, also love our neighbor. But it's only a small beginning. Even when we are minutes away from death, even at that point, we still will have only a small beginning of new obedience. Well, does that mean we never make any progress in this life? Imagine if that were the case. If we said there's never any progress. The child of God then who wanted to love their neighbor more, who wanted to grow in love for God, that child of God would have to say, well, what's the point? I'm not even going to strive because I'll never make any progress. The alcoholic who struggles with alcohol, who feels that he has to have a drink, and another one, and another one, if there's never any progress, well, he might well just as give up. The one who struggles with pornography might say, well, there's never going to be any progress. I'll just continue on in that sin. Thankfully, beloved, Scripture gives a different picture. It gives that picture in many different places. I use just the passage that we read. Titus chapter 2 speaks of the aged women and calls them to be teachers. Teachers of good things. And then verse 4, well, why should the aged women be teachers of the younger women? Well, verse 4 says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, and so on and so forth, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. The fact that the aged women are able to teach the younger women and that the younger women are able to learn shows that we are able, by the grace of God, to make progress. What does Jesus do to every branch that bears fruit? He prunes it. Why does he prune it, children? Why does Jesus Christ prune those branches that bear fruit? 
so that they will bear more fruit. That's the scriptural teaching. There is a progress that we ought to strive for as well. In other words, when we speak of that small beginning, we ought not to feel uncomfortable with the idea that those small beginnings are extended. We're not teaching perfectionism. We'll always only have a small beginning, but those small beginnings are extended. That's implied also in this Lord's Day. It's implied in question and answer 114 when it says about even the holiest men have a small beginning, yet so that with a sincere resolution they begin to live, actually to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. But now I point you to this too, and this is throughout the catechism. This would be a good exercise to go through. Find out all the times in the catechism where it uses the phrase more and more. Not more and less, but more and more. Lord's Day 26, God causes us to grow and as he causes us by his grace to grow, we more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Lord's Day 30, we earnestly desire that our faith be more and more strengthened and our lives more holy. And as our old man is mortified, we more and more hate and flee from sin. God, by his grace, causes us to grow. How does he do that? by the preaching, by the strict preaching of the commandments. That's question and answer 115. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached since no man in this life can keep them? God uses the strict preaching of the Ten Commandments. That's the word also, that's not just the catechism making that up, that's the word that the inspired apostle gives to Titus. This is why the apostle Paul says to Titus, you ought to preach this way. Titus 3 verse 8, this is a faithful saying and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly. You ought to say this strongly, without wavering. Teach this, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Now you understand the inspired Apostle Paul is not telling Titus, go and preach morality apart from Jesus Christ. Not at all. But rather, he tells Titus to preach a morality 
that grows out of Jesus Christ, that grows out of and flows from the redemption of Jesus Christ. That's verse 14. Jesus Christ, speaking of him, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You see, the strict preaching of the law is beneficial for us. God uses it for our spiritual good. How does God use it? Well, in the first place, it causes us to grow in our knowledge of our sinful natures. When we see that the commandments regulate all of our lives, including our sinful desires and inclinations, we ought to see how sinful we actually are. And when we understand how unrighteous we are, when we understand our sins and our sinfulness, well, then we ought to turn to God for forgiveness. Then we, by the grace of God, repent of our sins and flee to God for forgiveness. There's the grace of justification that when we understand our sins and sinfulness, we ought to turn to God for that grace of justification. There's the first aspect of our salvation. But it also ought to make us turn to God for the grace of sanctification. And notice that the Catechism speaks of that as well. Justification is the first half of question and answer 115, but then right in the middle of the answer it says, likewise. And then it points to the blessing of sanctification. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit. What do we want the Holy Spirit to accomplish? Why do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Why do we pray to God for this grace? That we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. When we understand that the law applies to even those inclinations and desires in our hearts, we will be more earnest to endeavor. That is, we will strive to put those wrong desires out of our hearts. And we will pray. Don't just desire apart from prayer, but desire, endeavor, and pray that God would work that in us. God would have the commandments strictly preached. The Latin version of the Heidelberg Catechism uses the words exactly and severely. Why? So that that word penetrates into our inner beings so that God uses that preaching to make us more and more conformable to the image of God. God uses 
the means of the preaching to make us more holy. Well, we will only ever have a small beginning in this life. But the catechism points to another day, and we yearn for that day too. We long for the day when we will be perfectly holy in heaven. It speaks of that at the end of the answer 115 when it says, till we arrive at the uh, perfection proposed to us. Till we arrive at that perfection. Well, where do we arrive at that perfection? Not in this life, but in a life to come. When God takes us to heaven, having the law strictly preached also makes us yearn for heaven. Do you have a zeal for good works? Are you zealous of good works? May God grant that, that we would have such a zeal, not just outwardly, but in the heart, a zeal for those works that bring honor and glory to our God. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we confess that we have only a small beginning. We pray that thou work in our hearts, that we would desire to grow. And may we strive to grow, and may we not seek to do that in our own strength. But may we daily pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us so that thy name would be praised. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.